This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome. This is Bantering the Blue Shirts. My name is Joe Fortunato, and I am your host. It is Thursday because we couldn't do it yesterday. Too bad. So instead, we're doing it today. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Michael Murphy and Beth Macklin. Michael, Beth, how are you guys doing? Hello. I'm doing dandy. Fine and dandy. Fine and dandy. This show is brought to you by, guess who? Our Patreon subscribers. Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Banter, where you can go in and give us some sum of money, and we will do things for you, like dance, or hug you, or in Mike's case, kiss you. Uh, Anthony Viola, oh. Dan Lynch, Matt Bader, Eric Cohn, Daniel DeGen, Michael Silvers, Trevor Kempner, Thomas Osa, Alexander Thornton, Nicholas Forlenza, Dan Carosi, Taylor Ryder, John J. Porter, Ar- Armreal Kissinger, Zachary Zetlin, Igor Zetlovsky, and Arch Williams. Thank you, all of you. That list has not gotten longer, so if you have not donated, but you listen, go donate. It's for a good cause. It could potentially bail Beth out of jail. Uh, That's true, if you can afford it. Um, Or it can give us new podcast equipment that will make this sound better because you love us. Um, And we love you. So thank you. We love you even Um, if you cannot afford to donate. Love! Love, love, love. love. Unconditional, even. Anywho... We are going to start today with a sort of reverse podcast. I am going to take the back seat for Michael and Beth to discuss the uh, United States women's national team current strike slash boycott of the worlds. Mike, why don't you uh, take it away then? Yeah, so um, yesterday I, without blinking or hesitating, I called this the biggest story in hockey and... I believe that's true, and I think it's much bigger than things like leagues and, you know, professional leagues and and the gender line because it's all about, you know, making that gender line less of an issue in our society. And right now the the women who are featured in primarily in the NWHL, but some of them also play uh, for the Minnesota Whitecaps, I believe five of the current, national team roster is uh, in the Minnesota Whitecaps, which is an independent uh, professional team, um, are boycotting the 2017 Women's World Championships where USA regularly dominates. Um, they've only ever been in the finals for the last, no one, I, for, off the top of my head, I forget, but it's something, something like 10 or 12 straight years. Um, and they're boycotting over not 
over equity and not being compensated fairly for representing their country in what is, you know, people tend to think of something like tournament hockey is, or, you know, the Olympic team and the Women's World Cup and things like the Four Nations Cup and the list goes on and on um, as a part-time commitment. But um, as Beth wrote in a great piece for the Ice Garden on SB Nation, uh, it is not a part-time commitment. You know, their lives are dictated by, you know, having to live in an area where they can participate with a national team. Um, So there's really just, it's more or less just, being around, you know, the Massachusetts area and the Minnesota area. I mean, there are a couple outliers, but they're in the minority. And at the drop of a hat, they have to go to camps, um, whether or not that, you know, clashes with their, you know, a, a job that they already have or something like the NWHL. I mean, the NWHL season was shortened in part, ironically enough, to make room and time for the Women's World Championship. So, uh USA Hockey gave these women a deadline of 5 p.m. today, and that deadline has come and gone. And uh, as Beth just told me before the podcast, do you want to share what they said, Beth? Uh, basically, they said it wasn't their deadline wasn't really a firm line in the sand. <laughs> um, apparently, it's a different understanding of deadline that, that the rest of us yeah, weren't aware it's not of. The, it's not the definition that everyone uses now. This feels like the, it's a uh, definition the, of a deadline that happens after you find out that even though you threaten to replace the players who are boycotting, um, the solidarity in the women's hockey and girls' hockey community is such that you are not going to be able to do that. And you have to have the tournament. Like the, uh, the lockout, right? The NHL lockout, where every other week was another deadline that was just being passed and nobody seemed to care about anything? Yeah, it's just... It's, their moot. Um, and it's funny because, you know, uh, I forget who it was. I think it was Megan Duggan who said that, you know, they expected that tactic from USA Hockey. And um, what USA Hockey as an organization um, failed to understand is that this boycott is not just, you know, the 20 some odd women who are currently on the national team. This boycott is more or less every American woman who plays hockey in an elite level. It's the U18 girls program. It's NWHL players who, you know, were born in America are coming out and saying they won't play Blake Bolden, Kelly Stedman, two exceptional players from the NWHL. Um, So USA Hockey's threat of finding scabs to step in because in their statement in response to, um, you know, the national team's demands for, for fair treatment and equity, um, they said we will field a quote-unquote competitive team. We're going to field a competitive team because the tournament is now in 16 days and it's in Michigan. It's in the United States. So um, it's going to be a lot of egg on their face and to add on to what's already there because, frankly, you know, I know I'm aware of how biased we sound when we describe this. But um, And there's also the issue of what's pragmatic and what's realistic, but um, just being talking to these women on a regular basis, and uh, even if they weren't an excellent hockey team, this would still be pretty pretty outrageous. It's the right thing to do, um, and they are an outstanding group of athletes that really deserve better, and frankly have deserved better for a long time. 
Yeah, I mean, and the thing to remember here, too, is that we don't even have to get into the whole, uh, well, they can't fill a stadium. Well, nobody's going to watch it on TV. You know, leaving aside the, you know, unproven or inaccuracy of those stands to start with, this is USA Hockey, which gets its money from the dues that are paid by boys and girls players um, and families and officials. Uh, Beer League, basically, if you want to step on the ice for any sort of organized game in this country, you're going to be paying USA Hockey in some way. Um, So that is where the money is coming from. And the idea that it's not spent equitably on on women as much as it is on men who get $3.5 million into a development program, even a portion of which could make the, the lives of the women's national team considerably easier, Um, is ridiculous. You know, they talk about growing the game. They advertise, wave over their heads the numbers of girls who are on the rolls as paying dues to USA Hockey. And then we have this team that is incredibly successful. And as with soccer, the soccer analogy is a good one, and they actually have the same legal team, much more successful than the men's national team. Um, again, the game in, I believe, the most, watched, yeah. the most watched event at the Olympics was the women's hockey final. So you can't even, you know, say that they had less viewership or anything. And the idea that, that women, that USA Hockey uh, will not invest in these women in a way that makes their, you know, their careers possible. Um, and again, won't even sit at the table to negotiate with them about what that might look like. Uh, is is just it's ridiculous, and the idea that they thought they could get away with it um, is kind of you know if it, if it wasn't tragic it would be sad because the yeah. optics are terrible. There's no logic to it. They have I've seen on Facebook you know my my friends with daughters and sons who play hockey they pay USA Hockey dues, and they're like you've got to be kidding. Um, so this is not like they have investors' money or something here that they're accountable to. The people who pay hockey, that's where this money comes from. Um, yeah. And the people who play hockey are very much invested in seeing the women's national team. Um, everyone knows that the biggest events in women's hockey are USA versus Canada. Everyone knows that. The games are great. And that we're going to be deprived of that game over petty garbage like this, possibly. Um, And it'll be interesting to hear what the other teams say, too. I don't know what the politics are of, you know, Canada or Sweden or whatever issuing statements. Canada, yeah, notable Canadian, um, like Cassie Campbell, I believe, um, uh, players who are currently on Team Canada have come out in support of this. Um, And that's what's so exceptional. And the other thing to keep in mind is, other than the fact that I sincerely believe that, and I know this will be controversial on a Rangers podcast, but... (laughs) <laughs> the USA Canada is, in my opinion, the best rivalry in hockey in the women's game. Um, you can disagree with that, but unless you've watched a couple of the games, you know that's that's you know you need to be able to actually experience something before you can speak against it. Um, and I've watched plenty of you know NHL hockey. Um, but what's, have you, Mike? What's, <laughs> no, you know. No, I just look at all the stats and I think I know everything. And then Corsi and Genwick and. <laughs> I don't watch the games in Tanner Glass. Um, no, but the, the what's something that you know Beth alluded to was there are about sixty games every year that are 
organized by USA Hockey for boys to play, meaning, you know, the under-18 developmental program, you know, American boys playing American boys to develop in the USA Hockey program. And, you know, I'm sure there are several Rangers who came up, you know, with some of that experience. I'm sure, you know, guys like McDonough and Stefan, you know, even Kreider, you know, I'm sure they had some history of that. But that doesn't exist for girls in this country. And that that is a very blatant discrepancy in equality as everyone else understands the word, apparently, except for USA Hockey. And again, I know how much my tone of voice is being biased and my perspective is biased, but um, I don't think you can escape certain facts that are that blatant and, you know, in bold font and, you know, as clear as day. Is it, is it a problem financially to find a way to give these women a living wage? I'm sure it is. You have to move around money and, you know, find a way to let these women be compensated fairly, um, especially when, you know, you have the U.S. The men in the USA hockey program are not hurting for money. You know, they're not hurting for meal stipends and travel. Um, the New York Riveters, for example, even, you know, a player as exceptional as Amanda Kessel, who's on the national team, you know, she rooms with, with teammates. It's the reality of their life. She's one of the, if not the best American hockey player in the world, that's a woman. And even with, you know, sponsorship deals she might have and all of that, she has roommates, you know, likely in Jersey City. And that's the reality of female professional sports, especially in hockey right now, that it's it's just not a level playing field. And some people will say, well, if the demand's not there, then the money's not there in that argument. And the problem we have with that argument is that it, it didn't start off as a level playing field. And there's a huge problem with addressing the reality of what we expect from these women and what we ask them to do and what USA hockey is expecting from them and what they're asking them to do. Um, And that's a big part of this. And that's a big part of why you see so much solidarity. You know, a lot of these girls have, would have an opportunity to be a scab and represent their country and likely medal if enough quality is there because Canada will win gold if these women aren't going and it looks like they're not going. Um, but, you know, even because American women's hockey is so deep, you know, they have a, a real chance for, you know, like Division two or three girls uh, from college, you know, could maybe win bronze, who knows. But we're not seeing that yet. We're seeing absolute solidarity, and that speaks volumes about how important this issue is. Yeah, just to kind of jump in, and I'm certainly not as well-versed as the two of you are in the the situation and – Mike and Beth have been to probably more Riveters games than some of the Riveter players have been uh, if they're new to the team. But uh, some of the arguments that I've seen kind of floating around has been the, um, you know, you basically like you get what you earn comments from people who don't think that the disparity is all that bad. And listen, from a, an actual league standpoint, like the National Women's Hockey League against the NHL, it's apples and oranges. Um, women can't make $7 million a year, not because they're women, but because the National Women's Hockey League doesn't have that type of money. Uh, to Mike's point, it, there's never been a level playing field in the first place, but it's the same reason why football players make more than hockey players do and, and vice versa. 
that's something that's not in anyone's control. That also does not mean that women should be making $5,000 a year. You should be able to find enough money for livable wages. And we were kind of debating what a livable wage would be before the show started just to figure it out. And it's really not that much of an investment. You can make whatever comments you want about the way the National Women's Hockey League is run. You can make whatever comments you want about the fact that the National Women's Hockey League doesn't have enough sponsors or maybe doesn't have, well, definitely does not have TV revenue or whatever it may be. And that's fine. Nobody's asking for there to be six-figure paychecks on the table, at least not right away. But from a national standpoint, that argument is mute. The women do just as well as the men in terms of TV ratings. In terms of they interest, do better. they do just as well as the men. So, And we couldn't – before the show, we were trying to pin down exactly what it was that the argument was here. And it, we can't figure out whether or not the men receive the same type of payments on a, a tournament-to-tournament basis that the women are either not getting or that they're only getting a little bit that once every four years payment. That's – I think we said it was $6,000. But I think the bigger issue is the actual developmental fees. The United States men's national team has levels up and down the age brackets that are being funded left and right, and the women don't have that. And to grow the game and to truly grow the game and to do what they want to do out of this, nothing bad can come from having a successful women's hockey league. It starts with getting grassroots programs. It's the way that the NHL has kind of grown through America to this point. And that is the argument. The argument's not that, oh, Amanda Kessel should be making $7 million a year. I would love for Amanda Kessel to make $7 million a year, but there's no, that's not the argument. And if your argument is that that shouldn't be the case, no one is arguing with you, unless you're arguing that it shouldn't be the case because she's a woman, which I'm sure some of it is. But it's the, from a national level, everything should be equal because the party that's controlling that is equal and it's not. And listen, I give these women a lot of credit. I give the women who more than likely turned down the attempt to uh, be coerced into playing in the tournament, the you know, 18 to 25 or 18 to 23-year-old women who were probably asked to, to break the line for at least at this point not doing so. And yeah, for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, yeah. And they said no in the sign of solidarity. This is, this is something that everybody works for. I, I can't speak for the experience from a woman's standpoint because I'm not a woman, but I I can tell you that my wife played collegiate lacrosse for Quinnipiac for four years and the end of the rainbow is making it to the national team and that's it. There's no other option. So to have a professional league, you've seen these people, these players say that they're really important. In fact, one of Britt's old players actually plays for the uh, Connecticut Whale. So there's a lot there to having a league like that. I understand that there's going to be a grassroots buildup. I understand that it's not going to be fair and equal and life isn't fair and equal. And it's the same reason why people think, well, basketball players are making 200 or a hundred million dollars on contracts. Why aren't hockey players? Well, because hockey players don't make as much because they don't bring in as much fine. But from a national standpoint, that argument just doesn't make sense because you have the same money and you're working with the same thing. And listen, it's not just women's hockey. It's women's soccer who are going through the exact same thing maybe not to this level, but have voiced their concerns and have had issues with it. And good for everybody to take a stand. And there has been, you know, some of that crossing over the lines with the soccer team and the the hockey team. And I mean, I think the soccer team was a little bit more pronounced because there were actual wages that were going out to the men. But I, I agree that the grassroots campaign to kind of build this up is very important. And 
I've already spoken too long on this subject. Uh, Beth, do you have anything <laughs> to either yell at me about or add? <laughs> yell at you about? Oh, gosh, where do I start? Um, no, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It seems like uh, USA Hockey might be, hopefully we're going to see them get back down. Hopefully we're going to see some sort of resolution. Hopefully it's a resolution that actually goes somewhere and makes the women's lives you know, better and easier. Um, and, you know, that's that's the best case scenario, at least for right now. Um, but, I mean, I will add that I do think they're missing out. You know, we, we talk all the time about how bad the NHL is at marketing itself and how it seems borderline incompetent at understanding its fans and what they want. I mean, the our game every year is a festival of making people unhappy. Um, you know, I mean, that's really the best evidence of something that is supposedly purely designed only for the fans that every year infuriates the fans in some new and exciting way. Um, and, you know, I just really feel like there could be, you know, staying away from the whole CWHL, NWHL teaming up, who's going to pay for it, blah, blah, blah. I just really feel like there's such an opportunity for more, cooperation between men and women's hockey in terms of growing the game overall. Um, Because, you know, as you pointed out, it's not like hockey players are making football salaries either. I mean, they're the bottom rung in professional sports and everybody knows it. Um, You know, so there's growth that could be happening there too. We we all know that there's a lot of empty seats in a lot of barns sometimes. Um, You know, so if, people are so obstinate that they cannot figure out that what's good for the women's game is also good for the men's game. Um, I mean, that's kind of sad too. Well, women have money to spend too, right? But it's not like well, they're not buying yeah. spending I on think, merchandise. Go ahead, Mike. I think there's a big problem. I think with a lot of people who don't understand that point that Beth just made is that, what does a healthy hockey community look like? A healthy hockey yeah. community is inclusive of all gender identities. Um, you know, as many, as, frankly, as diverse as it can be is the best thing. And that means not doing things like excluding minorities and excluding women and doing things like not necessarily, you know, the only publication stuff we see on, you know, the U.S. Women's National Team is when they're all in form-fitting dresses and all dolled up and, you know, trying to sell the sport through sex appeal. And, you know, I know these are a lot of issues that will make some people groan or roll their eyes, but it is important because if you really care about hockey, you should care about hockey as a whole. And ostracizing and demeaning and, you know, treating you know, half, you know, more than half the population as, you know, a secondhand athlete, a secondhand gender is a huge problem. And you, you just can't, it's one of those things where it's so hard not to side with the players because what they're asking for is so reasonable. It's just, you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see kind of a middle ground compromise that's, you know, under the table and off the books happened like what we saw in the NWHL after the salary cuts. But, you know, hopefully USA Hockey will realize that 
the reason the, it's so easy to side with the players is because at the end of the day, this is about them. It's about, you know, the, the skilled athletes who have earned their keep and earned their way onto these teams. They've earned the right to wear the jersey. And because of how unfair things are, they're taking the jersey off. And that's a huge deal and speaks volumes about the state of things. Well, that's true. I mean, that could be our uh... – it would be really nice to uh, see if, uh, you know, assuming that things kind of chug on, um, to see Riveters Buttes playing at the next year's Winter Classic between the Rangers and the Sabres, wouldn't it, Nick? Oh, my God, Beth, look oh, at you. Look at you with that little segue, huh? Uh-huh, I'm saving that. Just clap, clap, clap on that one. Well, uh, as Beth brought up, Guess what? The Rangers are reported to be hosting the... Uh, it's not official yet, right? Official, official? It's on the Wikipedia. I mean... Well, anybody could put it Everything on Wikipedia. Wikipedia is true. That's what I've heard. Um, the New York Rangers are going to be in the Winter Classic with the Buffalo Sabres. The Rangers will not be hosting the Winter Classic because they are not permitted to be the home team. James Dolan gets... I don't know how it works, but... He gets some type of uh, some type of tax break for not playing games in New York as the home team that aren't at MSG. Uh, go figure. I do not know how that works, but that is the way that it works. And the Rangers will be playing the Sabers as the road team in City Field. So there was a lot of anger about the Islanders not being included from Islanders fans, which was just. Uh, just kiss his fingertips good. But a lot of people are mocking the Rangers-Sabres matchup. And I actually, look, the Sabres have not been good. Um, they have a good young team. I think there's certainly optimistic reasons to assume that they're going to be at least relevant, if not next year, maybe the next couple of years. But the NHL kind of has its hands tied here because due to the way that the it's worked out, where the Rangers can't be the away or can't be the home team, what else can they do? They played the Islanders in the stadium series a couple of years ago. The Devils are a terrible national draw. The only other option is Buffalo. And Jersey was enough of a stretch for them to be the home team in New York. So I don't see the outrage that a lot of people have been showing. And I was curious if you guys agreed with me or disagreed with me. Beth, I will let you go first on this one. Wait, what are we? Are we disagreeing that this is a bad matchup? Well, I'm asking your what? opinion on whether or not you think this is a bad matchup. Um, I really hope I'm not undermining this discussion, but um, I mean, I, I'm kind of indifferent to it. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, you definitely can't say it's a huge rivalry. It's an annoying matchup because um, the Rangers should murder the Sabres, and yet the Sabres have beaten us. <laughs> when they really weren't supposed to a couple times. Um, so that that's sort of, it's it's not good enough to be a rivalry and it's not bad enough to be a definite win. So I could see that being irritating. Um, why, why don't they want to do a, a Rangers-Islanders outdoor game? So my response to that, because that was the question that every Islanders fan threw at me, I would have to assume that the Sabres are a better national draw than the Islanders are. Even though the Rangers-Islanders rivalry is what's big here, the fact of the matter is 
the Islanders don't get big numbers even within the tri-state area. Buffalo does unbelievably in Buffalo, which is not the biggest market in the world, but I think there's a thought that there will be more of a national interest in that than there would be in the Rangers Islanders. That's my guess. Mike, do you think that's the case or no? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not the best at, you know, at knowing knowing all that stuff just because I grew up for a long time as just a, an obnoxious Rangers fan who just thought, you know, the Islanders fans couldn't fill their own rinks because they were bad at being fans. But then, you know, I hit puberty and developed some brain cells. Um, I, and I saw that that was still true. <laughs> Um, it, it's a very, it's a weird thing to me because it, I, I know it's not a rivalry and it's right to not call it a rival, rivalry. I'm sure, you know, some people will paint it as, you know, New York and New York and, but everyone knows, I mean, in my hockey consciousness, I don't even know if the Rangers and Sabres have even been in the same division. Um, you know, I, I don't think they ever have been, um, and with that alone, it's a big deal. I'm sure, you know, the Jimmy Vesey storyline would be somewhat interesting, but that's just how much of a stretch it is now. Um, the last, the other, only other tie I can think is, you know, like the Chris Drury signing. I mean, so it's, uh, it's really hard to connect the dots and make that a, like, find storylines for the game that would make people care, like as much as, you know, Rangers Flyers was so intense. But, uh I think there's a lot of reasons why the Islanders weren't chosen, including what you said. And I think that is at least partially true that, you know, the the Islanders, you know, national, you know, where they show up on the national radar is probably less than Buffalo. And, you know, a big part of the Buffalo community is Buffalo doesn't have a lot, but it has sports teams and they are really intense about their sports teams. And, it's close enough to Canada that there might be some Canadian interest and, you know, there's, there's enough there that I think, you know, Buffalo is certainly deserving of, of being involved. Um, you know, what, what was it? And I don't think this is right. Was a Buffalo Pittsburgh, one of the classics? Uh, yes, that was the first classic. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been a while, but like Buffalo Pittsburgh, who the hell cares about that game? But, you know, it's, it's you know, unless you're looking at Canadian teams, you're not really going to find rivals for the Sabres. Um, but that's, you know, all I can do is, I, I know you guys can't see it, but I'm just kind of shrugging. It's uh, <laughs> Buffalo has to play someone, you know? Well, the Rangers can't play any other team. It's either the Islanders, Devils, or the Sabres, if the Rangers are to be the quote-unquote road team at home. So... Of that matchup, the Sabres are at least younger. They have Eichel. There's some better storylines there than there are maybe with the Islanders, who overall have not really been that good. Again, you may desire that matchup here in New York, but the country may not. And listen, it's all about the advertising dollars. Um, New York is the number one market in the country in terms of television revenue. Buffalo, I think, is 30th maybe. They're, They're not small markets. And the ability to have a Winter Classic, it might not blow the doors off for NBC, but you're talking about an enormous amount of money. From a national standpoint, that game fares better than Rangers Devils, who are atrocious, and Rangers Islanders, who are not that good. So what option do they have? I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about it from a Rangers and Sabres standpoint. 
I would think that people in the West would watch it just because it's the Rangers. The Rangers are a national draw. Buffalo, I would assume, even with the Canadian, I guess, barrier above them with Toronto and Montreal so close that, yeah, okay, fine. Maybe it has a little bit of bringing in Canada too, but that's what it is. I mean, that's where we're at right now. And I don't think it's the worst matchup in the world, but they can't play the Penguins. They can't play the Flyers. They can't play Washington because they can't be the home team. And I think Mm. even for a league that allows Chris Pronger to work in the league and not technically retire so he doesn't screw the Flyers over with the cap hit, not even that league (laughs) can allow the Flyers to play the Rangers in New York and have it be a road game for the Rangers. There's no no way around that. From people who are very conspicuous Ranger fans, I'm sure – you know, it smacks as something that is, you know, you know, not not palatable to people who are not Ranger fans to, to talk about how the Rangers are a popular team and you know they have a, they'll have a big draw. But that's just kind of the truth of the matter. No matter where the Rangers play, there are Rangers jerseys. It's you know it's true with the Leafs. It's true with the Canadians. You know, I the Rangers have been in you know Chicago and I've seen a lot of Ranger fans at those games. It just I'm not saying that isn't true for other teams, but the New York Rangers play in New York, and they're a grossly popular team because of that. And so a small market team like Buffalo pairing with a very big market team like the Rangers makes a lot of sense. You know, it's to include a, you know, a diehard hockey community that will care more about being in the Winter Classic than, you know, the Penguins will at this point, and then you get your national draw team. It makes sense. Yeah. Just to flip the switch from the actual matchup itself, I mean, how excited are you to have the Rangers back in a winter classic? And I know they were in the stadium series game, but there is something to be said for being involved in the winter classic directly because you get the, it's not 24 seven anymore, but it's the epics, you know, behind the scenes show. You get all that. I mean, 24 seven when the Rangers played the flyers is probably the most fun I've had outside of the Rangers Stanley Cup run watching this team because it was just spectacular to see them behind the scenes like that. You never really get, especially with a team like the Rangers that plays things so close to the vest, you never really get those opportunities. And I cannot imagine that not being one of the more exciting things about this. I mean, the Rangers, assuming that things are pretty much the same next year, how many characters are on this team that you want to know more about? I mean, we went Christmas shopping with Marion Gabrick for a Christmas tree. Are you kidding me? You don't think there's <laughs> going to be something amazing in this? I think every second of this is going to be amazing. Yeah, just um, put a camera on Kreider and enjoy. And just see what he does. Eat it. I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about it. I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the league. Uh, I kind of wish they had, they did a little less of the outdoor stuff with, the stadium series, and I feel like it's a it's a commodity because it, it's a commodity, um, or because it's not necessarily something that happens every single day. But um, that's obviously not the case right now, and so be it. The Rangers are in the main event, and I'm very happy to have them in the main event. Is there anything else you two want to talk about on the subject? Um, no, I'm good. And, oh, I maybe? think I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not sure. I'm the only, 
I'm the only one who feels if I am the only one who feels this way. But for me, the the Winter Classic has lost a lot of its appeal and luster. And I know that's kind of a cynical thing to say um, when I was just accusing, you know, the general male population of being cynical, you know, uh, 20 minutes ago. But um, it's uh, I find myself not caring as much. Um, and I know, you know, I know that sounds cynical, but, you know, I like the, it's just a blip on the radar of the season now. But with, with that being said, I think it's because when there is that 24 seven or whatever, you know, with the, I forget what it's called an epics now, but you know, the, when you get that like unprecedented access, you get to actually know the players as people, you get to know them away from hockey and, it gives you, you know, a much deeper appreciation for them. Um, that's something that I think every hockey fan should embrace just because it's so good to have that perspective of like, yeah, look at these guys. I mean, also it's fun, you know, looking at how they all look with that weird light that they used to put in front of everyone's eyes where they have that weird like circle reflection um, that made everyone look like they're talking in space. But it's uh, it's something that, you know, I, I feel kind of obnoxious for saying it. I don't really care about it unless the Rangers are in it. And so, yeah, you know, I want them to play in it, but there's also the whole aspect of it's a sideshow and it's distracting and all of that that I'm sure some, some other fans will bring up. All right, putting you both on the spot, but this is a good one. What <laughs> player are you most excited about seeing behind the scenes from this group and why? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, yeah, Kreider doesn't disappoint. Um, I would love to see more from players who tend to be a little on the quieter or at least not quite as out there, um, like JT Miller, um, who really only seems to speak when spoken to. Um <laughs> And really hoping we still have uh, Uchnevich to uh, maybe get to know a little bit better. Um, That wasn't supposed to be a segue. That wasn't, I would like to get to know him better. Don't ask me and I said it, okay? (laughs) Um, I mean, think of all the the more words he'll probably know by then. If we get the chance to talk to him. Um, Probably totally be fluent by then. It would be fantastic. So yeah, um, after after watching Brady Shea and Jimmy VC's apartment tour, I really feel the need to never hear another word from either of them ever again. So I'm set with those two. And um, uh, probably go with Kevin Hayes just because he's a dope. Um, <laughs> he's a lovable dope, but he's our dope. I mean, just from just from what we've seen on you know his Twitter account and everything, it's very clear he has a sense of humor and. You know, he's a goofball, and, you know, I think he referenced, you know, Harambe earlier in the year. So um, I would expect him to be the sort of guy who would definitely be entertaining and someone that a film crew would, you know, be drawn to like a magnet when they realize that, you know, he's the guy that will say all the the wacky stuff. So I'd say him and, of course, Zook just because somewhere. Oh, Zook, yes. I I was going to say, how long would it take for us to get to Zookabello? 
somewhere that penguin costume that he wore when Hagelin was the pirate is laying around. And dolphin. I, I could only, it was a dolphin. Yeah, that's what I meant. I, I'm sorry. A dolphin. Um, somewhere that costume was laying around. And I just want to see it come back. Oh, God. It would be so amazing. I think Zuccarello would be the best just because he's so crazy. Um, it's always nice to see Lundquist behind the scenes, you know, see a little bit of McDonough. I, I feel like Lundquist we, just we smiling and laughing. In a lot of ways, and the core that was in the Winter Classic a few years ago is really the same core that's here now. It might be a little bit younger now, and there might be different players, but Stepan, McDonough, even throw Girardi in there, Lundqvist, um, you're kind of growing up with them. And to see the way that they've changed, I think would be really exciting, and I think it's part of what makes this so amazing. Now, again, like Mike said before, you're really not that that interested unless it's your team that's involved in it but still I, I i like the i like the idea behind it i really do i think that's great um okay now we're going to segue we're going to try to stay positive it may be difficult but we're going to try it anyway um <laughs> it appears that pavel buchnevich will be the healthy scratch tomorrow uh, in a move that i think we saw coming jesper faust is back michael grabner is back tanner glass is in the lineup and playing um Dan Girardi is also back. Kevin Klein is skating. We are getting dangerously close to seeing the team that I think is going to be the playoff team here for the Rangers. And uh, what are the expectations? Mike, you want to lead the way on this one? Um, I mean, when you, when you talked about that uh, before the podcast, when we, we talked about what, what we would be talking about and how you mentioned it would be the lineup we would likely be seeing, it's hard to argue against your logic. I mean, you know, putting the puzzle together, it's this time of year, these guys are healthy and here Tanner Glasses and, you know, they're Adam Clendenning and Bobo Pichnevichar. And that is really um, disconcerting to me. I think it's, it's not a mystery, you know, what my opinion is going to be. So I won't, I won't go off on a, on a rant, but um I will say this. I mean, if you ask yourself what Tanner Glass was was brought into the lineup to do, um, from not from your perspective or you know Corsica's perspective, but from Aline Vigneault's perspective, Glass has given the Rangers head coach exactly what he wanted to see. He's a guy who's skating like every shift is the last in, last in the NHL because it might be. And, you know, he's only seeing an average of just over 10 minutes a night, which is, you know, a pittance. But, you know, he, he's there and he's, you know, throwing the body and, you know, there's people eager to make gifts of him throwing a hit in the offensive zone that helped create a turnover that turned into a goal. And he has a goal and an assist in five games. And, you know, he's had a fight in his first game and, He's doing these Tanner Glass things, and if he was brought up to be Tanner Glass, he's fitting that bill. Um, what's What's interesting to me is whether or not Vigneault has really convinced himself that that's what he wants to see on this team uh, with the playoffs here. And if that's the case, then we know it just kind of confirms a lot of our fears um, about what kind of coach Vigneault is and, and what he expects from his lineup and the sort of players he'll play. What's so troubling to me is this uh, the continued squandering of, of Buchnevich. Uh, it was weird enough with Camp for 
and clendenning. That was a very, very hard thing to understand. Um, and it was almost kind of lost in in the, the commotion over Glass being in the lineup and his return. But it's been a really, really peculiar time to be a Rangers fan because um, in terms of a body of evidence for Glass and people who want him in the lineup, he, Glass couldn't be playing better for the people who want Glass in the lineup. He's playing – he's doing those intangible things, and they're they're very clear, you know. It might be intangible and hard to touch but uh, or hard to grasp, but you can see them happening. And I don't know. I guess I'm just talking myself in a circle already, but what do you think, Beth? Um, well, I mean, I guess – and I, I did make a point of saying, uh, I think it was over this past weekend or whatever happened that I – made no promises to be positive anymore, but I will try to be civil. But um, I think, you know, there are two sides of the problem. There is the fact that Glass is playing and then there's who isn't playing, um, which is really more the side that bothers me. It's not, oh, you know, he's a terrible person doing terrible things or he's a great person doing great things. It's that there's only so many, you know, seats on the bench and spots on the ice and he's got one of them, which means somebody else doesn't. And, you know, to me at this point, I'm never going to understand the mentality that thinks that it's worth having him out there at the expense of other someone else, uh, like 89, uh, perhaps. But um, yeah. I'm right, right? I'm yeah, 89. you are 89. Yeah, okay. I stumbled there for a second. But, I mean, my point being that I see this also as more of what message it sends to a player who's clearly at a crucial point in the season trying to figure his game out and, in a sense, being told, you know what, maybe not even worth it for you to figure it out right now um, because you may not be getting back in. And that, to me, is the side of the decision that I have the biggest problem with. Right now, or whoever else it ends up being, who's going to you know rotate off the short end of the stick there. It's the same thing every single time. It's the same thing that we deal with that we were dealing with before, and and positive podcast, whatever. But I I wrote a note (laughs) that I called this exact thing would happen ten days ago, and not because I'm a mind reader, but because I know how this stuff is going to work because of the way that it's worked the past three years, and. This does bring up questions. It brings up questions about Jeff Gordon, who's allowing this to happen without a care in the world. And it brings up questions about Vigneault that we've been asking to this point, including what's the deal? I mean, he made comments about Buchnevich being inconsistent the past two games. Well, really? Because I know of guys, including people who are playing, who are inconsistent for entire seasons at best that are not sat on the bench or punished. Him sitting in the press box is not good for his development. I'd rather him play on the fourth line and get eight minutes a game of NHL time than go play 20 minutes in the AHL. He doesn't belong down there. And for the Rangers to not see that and for him to be the brunt of this attack is insane. Don't give me the argument that he's not a fourth-line player. Don't give me the argument that Tanner Glass needs to be in the lineup because it's a different dimension. You're saying the same things you said last year. And if the season crashes and burns, you're going to look around with your hands up and be like, well, I don't know what happened. I know what happened. You ignored what happened last year, and now it's happening again. Stop it. We get called negative all the time. This podcast has been rated terribly at times by people because they say we're being too negative. But I have not yet seen a 
period where we've been overly wrong. I don't mean that to sound condescending, and I certainly don't mean it to sound like we're the greatest thing in the world, but last year things were not good, and we were one of the few websites to point that out, and everybody told us we were stupid, follow the rules, you can't make fun of Vigneault, you can't criticize Vigneault because the Rangers were winning, and what happened? They got smoked in the playoffs, and everybody looked around and they went, well, how could this happen? Well, how could this happen? Because nobody said anything, and here we are again, and the exact same thing is happening, and no one is saying anything. Larry Brooks, at the very least, said he saw no way that he did not even understand how uh, Bushnevich was sitting. He couldn't figure out any logic behind it. I mean, we have uh, specific beat reporters who kind of put their head in the sands. We have some who kind of go back at the bloggers. We have one specifically who goes back at bloggers, even though uh, his counterpart who covers the Islanders broke the New York Rangers Winter Classic news. So go figure that one out. But there is reason to be concerned about Mika. Yes, and he attacks Mika, and I will not have that. So Wait, what are we talking I, about? We're talking about uh, – I'm not naming names. You you know him. Okay. You blocked him. You know who I'm talking about. Okay. Now. Oh, yep, got it. So it's not, I'm sure everybody <laughs> else can figure it out. I feel like this is like spelling out what you're going to do. Like sometimes they say B-E-B to Brittany so that the dog doesn't run into the room. <laughs> Only we're doing it in front of, like, a teenager who can actually spell. Anywho, um, it's, but this is what it is. And listen, it's not the beat reporter's jobs to go in and shake some trees down, but you're pretty much getting the same thing from every single beat reporter. Brooks is really the only one that brings any sort of sense of uh, being different and kind of the outlander. And even so, I think he only does it when he knows he's going to be right. Uh, Carp works for the actual... MSG Networks now, so that's not happening. <coughs> Hartnett's pretty good, but again, it's... These things he, doesn't get get much. he doesn't have the impact yet because he's too young. People so, don't read him enough. Uh, I just have issues with this while well, you guys are being too negative. What, like, what more do you have to see? What are we Honestly. supposed to do? Just like cheer all the time? Well, and Apparently. here's the thing. There's a difference between being critical of the team and actively rooting for the team to lose. I don't think anybody on this podcast, for sure, on the website, for sure, wants the New York Rangers to lose games. But I do think there's a difference between, like, Tanner Glass scoring a goal and good for him. I'm glad Tanner Glass is playing well, and, and he's been fine three of the four games that he's been in the lineup. But at his best, he is not better than Buchnevich at his worst. You need to look at the long-term development. If you are in agreement that the New York Rangers are not Stanley Cup contenders this year, or you think Glass makes them Cup contenders, which ends this conversation in totality, but if you are not one of those people, then Buchnevich should be playing because the Rangers need him to develop. I mean... Imagine what Brady Shea would look like if he actually got a chance to play last year. And I hate the argument that Hayes and Miller are only good now because they were healthy scratches for Glass last oh year. Oh, my God. Of the year before. It is the, yeah. That is the Don't most negative even argument. Get me started about that. You're insinuating that they basically would not have been good unless they sat from the press box. You're taking away from oh, their actual talent. You're starting what? <laughs> the I said don't get me started, and then I, oh, yeah. Don't get me started. I mean, it, it's just a, it's a ludicrous argument. It, you can't tell me that them sitting for him uh, makes everything better. It, it's just not the way that it works. And 
can't throw in for Clendenning. I mean, whatever. Like, we, we, we needed to be prepared for this, and we were prepared for this. And listen, it is what it is. The Rangers very well may go on to win a couple of games. They may lose a couple of games. Whether or not the Rangers win or lose does not make Glass playing over Buchnevich a good decision. I, I don't know how many times I need to make that clear. Result-driven analysis does not make sense. You need to look at the impact behind it. I've spoken too much. Somebody else say something. <sighs> Waffles. Okay. Waffles, Waffles yeah. Um, I haven't had a waffle in a long time. Have you ever been to a no, waffle house? Uh, I have been to a waffle house. I have not I've either. Also been, to a, been to a waffle house? I have is that like a house? specific thing, or is it just like a house of waffles? No, I think it's a it's a specific thing. Not like a it, the chain is not called Waffle House, but a Waffle House is a Waffle House. IHOP is a pancake yeah, house. Like, okay, it's like a Burger Shack is a thing. So, um, yeah, but I I know what you mean, Joe. the The thing that's really troubling about Buchnevich in particular is, and I know we've we've said this before, is he's a better player today and tomorrow than at least two guys who are in the lineup now with Glass in the lineup. And frankly, more than that. I mean, I think a a very convincing argument could be made that he should be in the lineup over a guy like Jesper Fast. But what's really, really troubling about Glass in the lineup is that he's on the third line and VC's on the fourth. So what the hell is the argument, you know, that supports Buchnevich sitting, and I know there are not many people who, you know, are out and out saying they support, you know, that that it's Buch who's sitting. But think, trying to, you know, put together the idea that Glass getting third line minutes rather than playing on the fourth line, you know, with Lindbergh and, you know, playing ten minutes a night, how that will help the Rangers um, is is really hard to understand. There's not that many games left. I think with the Rangers have 14 left or even less than that now. You know, there's you really have to figure out who you are. And, you know, with the Brendan Smith trade and, and everything going on with Glass, you know, I don't think we've seen a lot of encouraging signs the last couple of games. And I think that's it's a really bad time of the year to be throwing this kind of Hail Mary in the lineup, even if it's in the bottom six. You know, it's it's a very strange message to send in the first place to a team that it was where it was in the standings, and it's a very strange thing to see that it wasn't just some temporary experiment. This has gone on now long enough. This will be Glass's sixth sixth game, I believe, right? And if you told me that he would get called up at the end, you know, the tail end of the season, even, you know, in January or, you know, November, December, around then, I, I would, I would just shake my head and laugh. Even after that article that came out of Hartford about, um, it was in December about how Ken Janander was using glass, uh, Janander's the head coach in Hartford, uh, using glass in the role that he played in the NHL because he believed that was the the surefire way to get him back in the in the pro in the I shouldn't say the pros in the NHL. Um, I don't know what more Vigneault and Gorton need to see to understand these things, but I think we we can pretty comfortably say now that this is just the way they do business. This is the way Vigneault sees the game. This is the way he sees his lineup. He doesn't trust young players. 
pile of evidence of that has grown to a staggering height. And the results give an analysis of, yeah, but look what Bujnevich and, I mean, look what Hayes and Miller are doing now. Now, we'll, we'll hear the same thing if, you know, Bujnevich turns things around and we won't hear people admit, yeah, it was probably a bad idea to take a player who has a foreign foreign opt-out clause in his contract if he's in the minor leagues, uh, you know, and keep him in and out of the lineup and play him in a fourth-line role where he'll never fill that role. That's The only way he will fill that role is if the Rangers commit to that four-scoring lines thing, and we haven't seen that in good, I don't know how long. Um, you know, I wrote that piece many weeks ago about whether or not Lindbergh was the right fit on the fourth line over a period, and you know, we, we haven't even talked about that, but the Rangers are not that team we saw early in the season that had those four scoring lines. In fact, they now have a guy who's at best an AHL-level winger. You know, a 33-year-old guy on an expiring contract that is, to many Ranger fans, a the epitome of how to mismanage a roster. And to other Rangers fans, you know, this relic of how hockey is, quote-unquote, supposed to be played. So it's a very strange place we find this team that looked so young and dynamic and Grabner and Gerby and all these wonderful things and uh, it's a weird place we find ourselves. I don't know. I guess the it's not where you want to be really for the playoffs. Them actually thinking this is the right way to go is part of the problem. Yeah. And it's almost not even worth talking about because the people who defend this are going to defend it for eternity because they just don't care. So some people just want to see the world burn, and Neil seems oh pretty good about lighting matches after pooling gasoline. Um, because I, I would be absolutely shocked if Glass came out of the lineup the rest of the year. I mean, seriously, absolutely shocked. Um well, that's the problem is how did Glass get into the lineup? Because the Rangers got pushed around by the Bruins and, and the Canadians. It was very clear they got bullied. So at one point do we say, you know, oh, there's not enough skill in the lineup. I mean, have, have we not seen that problem enough during the year that, you know, when certain guys have been hurt or the understanding that, oh, no, we have too much speed and skill in the lineup, as if that could somehow be a drawback. Um, in the modern game, I, I I don't I don't think there's the the environment doesn't exist, Joe, and that's why I agree with you. I don't but I don't know how Glass works himself out of the lineup unless he takes you know a bonehead penalty or or four or five because we know that if you know Clendenning or Shea take a penalty, they're riding the pine. But you know if Klein or Girardi or you know Nash or whoever name any established NHL player takes a penalty or makes a glaring mistake, you know, they're, they're out there their next shift. So, you know, I, I don't know what the circumstance will have to be. What's, what are the parameters for glass to come out now? But I, I would be shocked if Dino has that in his head. If, you know, I don't think he's asking himself, how do I get this Russian kid back in the lineup? And I think any good, any very good coach would be doing that. Cause hey, it's, here. it's important today and tomorrow. Here's the problem. You cannot tell me you can't criticize Vigneault and the Rangers because they're on pace for 100 points and then also believe, oh, this team's actually not good enough because they don't have Tanner Glass in the lineup because they need toughness. You, you don't get to pick and choose like a buffet. The team is either good enough or they're not good enough. 
So if your argument yeah, they is got the, here Rangers, last. the Rangers aren't scoring goals, so they're not scoring goals because they're getting pushed around too easily. Okay, we're going to put Tanner Glass in the lineup at the, extent, uh, at the expense of Pavel Buchnevich. Well, it doesn't it, – then obviously the team had problems then to this point. So it's not, oh, you're being negative just to be negative. You think there's a problem too, just that you, the problem that you want to solve. Vigneault plays his favorites, period, end of story. There is no argument. You cannot tell me he doesn't. So fine, but Buchnevich is a better option top to bottom. Buchnevich is a better option regardless of whether or not he's scoring points. And There's many fights in the NHL this year's glass. Yeah, so there you go. And that's it. People are like, oh, you can't compare their offense because you don't understand the role that Glass is playing. I, listen, I love I, – I, as a person, I love Tanner Glass. I wish Tanner Glass was a better hockey player because I really don't mind the gritty, rough side of the game. And I do think it's important. I just don't think it's more important than skill and speed. The Rangers do, and, and this is where we are. So I yeah, said I wasn't going to complain about Glass. For, yeah. I wasn't yeah, going to complain about him until he started playing. <laughs> we we're talking over each other. But this is my final point. I, I was not going to complain yeah. about him until he played over VC and Buchnevich. Now he's playing over Buchnevich, so complain about it. Michael. Yeah, it's just really to expand on the point you made, which is a good one, is that if, there, if the Rangers had you know, a really true, you know, real checking line, and we've seen that a little bit with, you know, the defensively responsible fourth line, like we expected and saw with Dominic Moore and, you know, that sort of line where, it's, you know, it's okay to have them out there for a defensive zone draw. In fact, we kind of want them out there for a defensive zone draw. Um, and we saw, you could argue that, you know, Lindbergh fast and glass, you know, follows that theme. And the Rangers seem to think they do, or at least Camino does, but that's that's not what we see. We see skilled young players being shoved on the fourth line because, you know, Vino doesn't know where else to put them. And we see, you know, the idea of, of you know, a, a guy who's just glasses. If you're building a puzzle and you can't figure out why it's put together, glasses is the piece that's upside down. He's like the cardboard side up. And you can't figure out why he won't fit and why the team doesn't look tough enough, one tough guy won't meet that quota. You know, it needs to be part of your identity. It needs to be a part of how the team acts and treats itself. The reason, that you know, the Ducks and the Kings are so physical and regarded as physical teams, you know, they lead the league and, and hits per game and all that, and they're still a good hockey team, is because up and down their lineup, they have monsters. They have a bunch of guys who are six foot three who can skate, and they play possession-driven hockey where part of the game, when they don't have the, the puck, is to hit it. But they're focused on actually having the puck. And that's why a big part of why the Kings are so good at, you know, possession numbers is they're built in a certain way. The Rangers this year were built for speed. They were built for four lines that can work, you know, with that, that quick strike transition game, that counterpunch offense that we, we talk about and hear about so much. Where the hell does Glass fit in that? No, he doesn't, and nobody's worried about him, and nobody's afraid to face him. And that ridiculous fight, his first minutes back on NHL ice, that came out of nowhere for nothing. Um, Neutral zone first and again, period I don't, game. I don't hold it against him, but, I mean, that's 
that's the last fight anybody wants to see, really. You know, you, you barely sat down with your drink and your whatever, and, you know, you're not even emotionally involved in the game yet, you know, much less. I mean, and that was, again, I think I was, you know, the thing I liked, and bear with me, the thing I liked about McElrath fighting when oh he God. did fight. <laughs> no, Leave me alone. I have an actual point to make. Was because and oh, it'll God. it'll it's going to be a Stephen King reference, so you'll like it. Oh my God! Um, <laughs> all right. So in a Stephen King book, everybody does something to ask for. You know, you bury the pet or. You know, you take the drink in The Shining and, and, you know, whatever it is, there's always, you're always complicit in some way in the horrible thing that happens to you. There's something that you did. There's a place you could go back to and have done it differently. Um, And where I was going with that with McElrath is when he thought it was because somebody did something, you know, the sort of reasons why allegedly Glass is back. Um, you know, he'd see Stepan get hit and he'd come flying in and avenge it, you know. And maybe they weren't all like that, but if you're going to have that kind of physicality, that's how you want it to work. That's not a, some sort of weird, horrible, pointless performance at center ice, you know, almost like some sort of terrible pregame show because the pucks barely dropped. So, you know, it wasn't even just bringing back the whole grit thing or valuing it. It was putting on that completely pointless performance of it as if that was to say, you know what, everyone, the problems are solved now. Look at this. So. Well, that's been depressing. This whole thing has been depressing. Although I think we were relatively positive. You know what? We're as positive as we could be about what we were given. You know, we had just recovered from the trauma of glass last season. We were in a good place, damn it. Uh, I can (laughs) totally see them re-signing him, too. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, I can totally see that. No, don't, don't. Listen, this is what you're getting. This is what you've asked yourself. By the way, I finished the Dark Tower. I finished the Dark Tower, and it was amazing. Can I ask a question? Go ahead. Yeah. Going to anyway. Is there, I know, I love how you okay, say that like we wouldn't tapering off. I, <laughs> well, you didn't say yes. You just sort of waited. I gave um, us one second. <laughs> Is there a reason why we haven't tried, they haven't tried running the same line? AB hasn't tried the same lines that were scoring the 8 billion goals at the beginning of the season. Even admitting that, okay, it was the beginning of the season and they're probably not going to be scoring seven, eight, whatever goals a game, even if they didn't score that. Have those combina- those combinations haven't been tried again since the people got back from being hurt, have they? No, he's not tried it for reasons that will remain unsaid because I don't think anybody knows. So it's not uh, there's not some rationale for that that I'm like forgetting about. No, and it was just a bunch of lines that scored a ridiculous insane amount of goals given up for reasons <laughs> that nobody ever explained. And here's Even what's annoying you well, the goals and win. The injuries broke it up and then they never went back to it when everybody was healthy. Uh, the yeah. play that I come back to was the Bush never little toe drag where he tried to snipe the puck in the bottom corner and 
a spectacular save was made. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking to myself, if he scores there, is VC the guy coming out of the lineup instead of Buchnevich? And more importantly, why are we having these discussions? <laughs> There's no rationalization no. about it. It just uh, – it is what it is. I, 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 it's frus- it is frustrating beyond frustrating. And it's not necessarily because Glass is playing. It's that Buchnevich isn't playing. And, and I think that should be a key takeaway about this. This really has very little to do with Glass himself and far more to do with the fact that Buchnevich is sitting in the press box for no reason. Uh, a guy who well, finally got himself into the top six yeah. and is playing well. It's just not it's, – it's beyond frustrating. That's it. That's all. Okay. Um, this wasn't really – Auntie Ranta has been really good. Auntie Ranta has been really good. Auntie Ranta has been good. Good. Auntie Ranta. The blunt is hurt. Hip. hip, hip, hip. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. Pay for this. Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Panther. <laughs> if you don't, you don't win. God damn it, Joe. We're not asking for much. Say something we're, just about asking, birds? we're asking you for money no out of your pocket. You know, just somebody did ask. They, they wanted a podcast topic for the Tony time to be uh, – what the Rangers would be as animals. I think it's too much for us to dive into right now, but we can pick a single Ranger and say what animal they would be if you'd like. <laughs> Ronto okay. would be uh, a prairie dog. Ooh. All right. We're going to go with Ronto then. Um, uh, a peacock, because when he plays, he peacocks. What That's are right. those things that aren't llamas but are like llamas? Alpaca? Yes, yes. Ooh, an alpaca. But not an ostrich, not a killer ostrich. No, no, of course not. That would be maybe Kreider, just kicking people wildly behind him. Kreider is very much like an ostrich. Yes, just fast and a bull. In fact, that goal that wasn't interference was really, I don't think I'd ever seen Ranta angry before. Yeah. Like really angry. Oh, oh. That call was I. I remember I was watching the game, and I I'm the guy who runs the the Blue Shirt Banner Facebook, and I had already written out, you know, I before I hit enter, I'd written out, and they're reviewing the goal, and I was ready to say, and you know, it's coming off the board, and when they said, you know, it stood, I, I very nearly just dropped an f bomb on the the Blue Shirt Banner Facebook because I I couldn't. Everything about that was maddening. They took no time looking at the review. You know, the, the excuse was that Ranta either A, initiated contact, or B, wasn't in the blue crease. When, why would my, my brother Patrick killed me with, a, with the line he had? He just said, there's not many goalies who initiate contact with their head or their chin. Like, what goalie intentionally sticks his chin into the moving elbow of, you know, a forward who's trying to screen him? It was one of the most cut-and-dry bad calls we, I've seen in a really long time. And, you know, I think it's a lot easier to see the truth when it comes to goalie interference because you're looking for contact. You're not looking for, like, you know, intent because, you know, incidental goalie interference is still goalie interference. But that call was good grief. Was that a bad call? If only an ostrich had been able to run out onto the ice and kick the referee in the face. 
Um, there's a lot of things wrong with the review process. I don't think we really need to go into them here because it'll take forever, but, um, yeah. Do you want the offside thing, the, the line all the way up the board? Uh, I, I just, I don't think if your foot is lifted up, you're, you're offside. I, I just, <laughs> more importantly, unless the play happens on a fast break because it's offside, leave it alone. It's not impacting the game. Stop it. Um, yeah, I think there's a reason when I was a kid I played with offsides off in the NHL games I played. <laughs> On that note, um, thank you for listening. Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Panther. Pay for this. That's what we're telling you to do. That's what you should do. You should have the meat. Uh, Blue Shirt Panther.com. Blue Shirt Panther.com slash Riveters. FanRag Sports. Michael Murphy, twitter.com slash digdeepbsb. Beth Macklin is on all those places except for FanRag. Um, Beth Macklin, twitter.com slash Beth Macklin. Um, me, Blue Shirt Panther, anywhere, and you'll probably find me. All right. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye.